0: This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 965 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
1: The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC. A registered investment advisor.
2: Good Saturday morning, Dick Donahue with your Wealth Wake Up Bye. With us. I'm a financial advisor, certified financial planner, credit test week fiduciary. Okay, gonna start out with this week's weekly wrap. I'm gonna change my format a little bit, what I've been doing. I'm actually gonna spend some time going through what took place each day of the market. And uh, so maybe take a fall the first segment, maybe even in some of the second segment. But anyway, the market lost some ground this week due to a sense that the market was due for a period of consolidation on the back of rate hike and valuation concerns. Coming off last Friday's much stronger than expected January employment report, there wasn't a great deal of conviction on the sell side or the buy side this week. Ultimately, the major indices all registered losses, which had the S&P 500 settled Friday's session below the 4,100 level. So on Monday, market participants were hesitant in front of the Fed Chair Powell's conversation with David Rubenstein at the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, and there was also some increased geopolitical tension after the U.S. shut down China's suspected spy balloon off the South Carolina coast last Saturday. The indices started the session on a southerly direction, and while they rebound from their early lows, they saw the S&P 500 slip below 4,100. They could never sustain any upward momentum. Instead, they spent much of Monday's session moving laterally in a relatively tight range below their flatlines. The Dow Jones Industrial Average briefly scooted above its flatline in late afternoon trading before fading again to Canadian territory. There were no economic data of note on Monday. And on Tuesday, the stock market kicked off Tuesday's session on a mixed note. The main indices oscillated around the flatlines in the first half of the day, as investors awaited Fed Chair Powell's conversation with David Rubenstein at the Economic Club in Washington, D.C. at 12.40 p.m. Eastern Time, but Mr. Powell didn't say anything too surprising, but the market responded with model price action nonetheless. The main indices initially shot higher, a move that was attributed to Mr. Powell's relatively calm demeanor when asked about Friday's stronger than expected January jobs report. The initial upside momentum quickly gave way to selling pressure, though, so after Mr. Powell said the Fed will react to the incoming data and will do more rate hikes if the data suggests that is necessary. That disclaimer had been provided by him in the past, however, so it was not surprising either. He also said that the Fed has a significant road ahead to get inflation down to 2%, and that he doesn't think it'll be a quick move to 2%. The aforementioned reversal of the major industry saw the S&P 500 reach support of the 4100 level. When a buyer stepped in again and a technical rebound took effect, effort took root, supported by short covering activity. Ultimately, the main industry closed near their best levels on Tuesday. Also helping Tuesday was a a ramp-up in Microsoft and other AI, artificial intelligence-related stocks, after Microsoft announced new AI powered Microsoft Bing search engine and edge browser, participants received the following data on Tuesday. The December trade balance came in at down sixty down minus sixty-seven point four billion. That's uh, the negative uh, trade balance we've been carrying for many years. But in the prior month for January, for December was revised it down sixty-one billion to down sixty-one and a half billion. The key takeaway from this report is reflected in the slowdown in global trade evidence by a 2.1 billion decline in the three month moving average for the goods and services deficit of 68.6 billion. but it was certainly interested in what happens with the debt limit discussion and the possibility of increased regulations. let Pers- Smith received the following data on Wednesday. The weekly mortgage ban- uh, mortgage applications index was up uh, down it was up 7.4%, In prior month it was down 9%. December's wholesale inventories were one-tenth of 1%. Prior was revised to nine-tenths to 1%, for 1%. Thursday, the market started Thursday's session with a distinct bullish bias, yet the bulls were soon corralled, and the major indices spent nearly the entire session retracing their opening steps in what became a trend down day. The selling that took place was broad based, but ordered. Nonetheless, it left the SP 500 below the 44 100 level at the closing bell. A favorable response to Disney's better than expected fiscal first quarter report and restructuring announcement of falling to Treasury yields, and another weekly initial job claims report that was supportive of the soft landing scenario provided fuel for the opening bid. The market's footing started to slide when Treasury yields began moving up after their overnight lows. The jump in market rates has compounded the selling pressure that had already taken root. Separately, Thursday's early rally effort was fostered some Pressing concerns about the market trading at a premium valuation despite declining earnings estimates. Those concerns triggered reduced selling interest, fairly unre- un- un- unrelenting over the course of the session. And persistence received the following data on Thursday. Initial job claims for the week ending February 4th increased by 13,000 to 196,000. Continuing job claims for the week increased by 38,000 to 1.688 million. But notwithstanding the jump in initial claims, the key takeaway is that claims remain below 200,000, which is indicated with a very tight labor market and a reluctance on the part of most companies to cut their workforce. On Friday, Friday's trade was decidedly lackluster. Ahead of key data releases this next week, including the Consumer Price Index, retail sales, industrial production, housing starts, and Producer Price Index reports, all from January. A lot of stuff coming up this next week. There was a lack of conviction from both buyers and sellers, it left the SP 500 and the Dow with modest gains while the NASDAQ logged a modest loss. Lagging media's uh, make a cap stocks kept pressure on index level performance. Tesla was a losing standout among the mega cap stocks amid investors' concerns that a potential Department of Transportation order could force Tesla to make its charging stations available to other electric vehicles. Oil prices reclaimed some lost ground on Friday, which also pressured the equity market in response to Russia saying it's going to cut production by 500,000 barrels per day in March in response to international sanctions. West Texas intermediate crude oil futures rose 8.7% this week to $79.66 a barrel. And participants received the following data on Friday. We had a February uh, University of Michigan uh, consumer sentiment. The preliminary was 66.4, the prior had been 64.9. And the key takeaway from the report is the understanding that the year ahead inflation expectations increased versus January, raising concerns along with angst over rising unemployment and about consumers' future discretionary spending capacity. The Treasury budget for January showed a deficit of $38.8 billion versus a surplus of $118.7 billion a year ago. The Treasury budget data is not seasonally adjusted, so the January deficit cannot be compared to the deficit of $85 billion for December. Only one of the 11 S&P 500 sectors gained at long gain this week, and that was energy up 5%, while the communication services sector was down 6.6%, and it registered the largest decline by a wide margin. The two-year Treasury note was 22 basis points to 4.51%, the 10-year note Rose 21 basis points to 3.74%. Those moves in the Treasury market reflected some budding angst that last Friday's January employment report will give the Fed more room to raise rates and to keep rates higher for longer. This sentiment was also evident in the fund fund's futures market, which is now pricing in 78% off, a 78% odds probability of a third 25 basis point hike increase in the May FOMC meeting. According to the CME FedWatch tool, versus only a 30% probability last Thursday. And looking at our year-to-date, which uh, indexes for what they've done for the year so far, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 2.2% for the year. The NASDAQ is up 12% for the year. The S&P 500 is up 6.5% a year. And the Russell 2000 is up 8.9% for the year. Dick Donnie here with you at of Live here on KGMI. We'll be back after a short break. Thank you for being here.
3: This is
0: Barry Barometer, reporting live from outside Linden Sheet Metal. It appears there is a high level of traffic around the building. I'm going in to investigate. Rose, do you know the cause of all this activity?
4: I do. You have heard about Christmas in July sales. Well, we thought why not do the opposite and have a summer in the New Year event.
0: Mmm, sounds intriguing. What details can you provide?
4: All gas fireplaces, furnaces, heat pumps, and air conditioners are on sale, with discounts up to $900. There are still utility rebates, and there are tax credits, too. We also offer financing up to 18 months with no interest if paid within terms.
3: Why buy now, Rose?
4: Lots of reasons. To save on utility bills, stay warmer in the winter, and to beat the rush of those who waited and be ready for cooling this summer.
0: There you have it, folks. Call today and take advantage of Linden Sheet Metal's Summer in the
3: New Year event.
4: Linden Sheet Metal, serving the Northwest since 1940.
3: DeWard & Bodie is kicking off President's Day Savings now at all three stores in Bellingham and Burlington. Now is the time to get early access to Presidential Savings up to 50% off on Whatcom and Skagit County's best in-stock selection of appliances, mattresses, and barbecues. Laundry sets, refrigerators, wall ovens, cooktops, ranges, and so much more are on sale and ready to deliver. For a limited time, DeWarden & Bodie will pay for your delivery on qualifying orders. Plus, shop this weekend and get 10% off your purchase back on The DeWard & gift card up to $500. Save your presidents and pay no money down and no interest for two full years on qualifying in-stock orders. DeWard & services the products they sell. So buy in confidence with their worry-free warranty options. Visit the Bellingham Appliance and Mattress Showroom on Meridian next to Home Depot, the Bellingham Appliance Outlet Center on Hannigan Road, or the Appliance Showroom in Burlington next to Costco, and kick off the President's Day sale with these special offers. Financing OAC qualifications apply.
1: The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm
3: proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up.
2: Welcome back to World Wake Up Live, to county's Saturday morning here at the PGMI. If We're asked advice. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center, just a little bit south of Pacific of, uh, of uh, Wilson's Furniture. Got to get that out right. Uh, just a little bit south of Wilson's Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center, uh, out there with Northwest Hot Tubs. Uh, anyway, our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101 Ferndale 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200, and check out our website, wealthwakeup.com. Check out under Insights, a lot of really good information in there, market summaries, a lot of uh, market commentaries, different things that are going on, some regulatory information, what have you, so tax stuff, all that good things are out there. Anyway, that's under wealthwakeup.com. Check us out. Okay. Well, I'm going to continue on with this week's economic. Uh, Reports and talk about the high-frequency data tracker that we report on every week. Initial job schemes, as I said earlier, as of February 3rd came in at 196,000. That was actually an increase of 7.1% in the number of claims. And continuing job schemes, as of January 27th, 1,688,000. That was also an increase of about 2%. We saw box office receipts for the weekend in February 9th. Also drop a little bit, continued to drop about three tenths of one percent. Rail car traffic as of February 3rd was down 5.1% for the week. Uh steel production as of February 6th was down as up 1.3%. Hotel occupancy as of the 20 of the 4th of, the, of February for the weekend, from January 29th to February 4th was down 1.8%. Uh operational state of restaurant industry continued to see us like declined at about 6.1%. Uh, TSA checkpoint data, as of February 9th, 1,938,689 passengers a day passed through checkpoints. Now, you go back to 2019, that compares with 1,864,000. So uh, we're looking at an increase there of about 70,000 passengers a day going through TSA checkpoints. And that was actually for the week up of 4.3%. We also saw the supply of motor gasoline drop about seven-tenths of one percent. And then looking at global commercial flights as of February 9th, 110,038 uh, flights a day. Back in 2019, 104,956. So that's about 5,000 more flights a day. Shows the airline industry starting to recover. Probably that springtime, people getting out, taking vacations. I'm not going to brag at it, but you might be able to hear the water in the background here. Anyway, that was up 5% or last week. Okay, here's how to avoid an IRS audit. You know, increasingly, IRS funding means that audits of wealthy taxpayers are likely to increase. This means that you need to be aware of the circumstances that could trigger an IRS investigation. The wealthy are thinking about audits, most because all of the press about staffing up of agents. Audits usually uh, are triggered when there is a large transaction it can't be digitally matched by the IRS to source documents that they've received. On the state level, residency audits, audits are very common, particularly after COVID and anyone, everyone moving all over the country without considering state tax laws. Certain transactions involving a lot of money could attract the attention of the IRS. Audits on the ultra and high net worth are likely to increase, though the probability of audits still remains fairly low. Red flags that could trigger an audit include sizable transactions, especially those pertaining to income, rental losses, business sales, charitable deductions, gifts, cryptocurrency transactions, and foreign transactions. Other audit triggers may be self, high self employment income, missed RMDs from your IRAs, suspicious business expenses, failing to report foreign accounts, and self dealing for private foundations. Dr. Russell Wilson about that one. Anyway, non-cash charitable contributions are by far the most audited area of the wealthy. Non-cash contributions, paying, houses, stocks, collectibles, and so on need to be reported to the IRS in Form 8283, which specifically lays out the contribution amounts that require a valuation of the property gifted. It requires signatures by the charity receiving the property, the valuation dates, the amount allowed is the deduction and all the other information related to how the property was acquired by the taxpayer and their original cost. If the form is not completed properly, completely, the IRS will try to disallow the entire deduction for the contribution. This is not a situation where we can just amend the form and do it correctly. The taxpayer only has one chance to complete it correctly. So, very careful on those non-cash charitable contributions. Documentation failures are another potential trigger. The One of the big triggers is missing an income source and not reporting on the return. This could be a result of a 1099 with income or a new investment that's reporting a K-1 that's off or look. Clients with uh, uh, Schedule C activity are, are definitely the largest group of audit risk, adding the Schedule C uh, activity often includes travel and entertainment, business use of an auto, an income, home, home office deductions, all items that get a lot of scrutiny from the IRS. Lack of income is another red flag. If your Schedule C is a hobby or a business, taxpayers who only have losses from consulting work or side business can be flagged if they never make money. The LLCs that flow through entities, self-employed individuals generally have more flexibility with expenses and incomes. Sometimes. They may or may not be the best reporting, which causes errors. that could be a goldmine for the IRS auditor. Residency audits are another trouble area. New York, New Jersey, and California, for example, have a reputation for being aggressive in auditing former residents, moving away but maintaining residency ties. States are just now catching up to people who failed to properly report income on their 20 and 21 returns. Also, Internal Revenue Code Section 1202 transactions, which are stock transactions, which allow for a partial or total exclusion of capital gain or the sale of qualified stock. The stock must meet certain requirements when issued and be held for a certain number of years to not gain that exclusion. Avoiding an audit comes down to not giving the IRS a reason to investigate. Stay away from operating in margins of the tax code. Don't give the IRS or a particular state everything, even if it seems like overkill. The burden of proof is on the taxpayer and not on the IRS.
4: Imagine living in Linden, perched above the Nooksack River Valley with Mount Baker and the Cascade Mountains in the distance. Enjoy the peaceful surroundings of the mountains and nearby golf course. Make new friends and get involved in new activities. Enjoy fabulous home-cooked meals and spacious apartments designed with your needs in mind. Enjoy your independence. Visit Linden Manor today on Aaron Drive in Linden next to Bender Ballfields or at LindenManor.com. Call Janet to arrange your personal tour and see why the residents love Linden Manor.
0: Honey, look what I brought home. (laughs) Not a cat. You know I'm allergic. Well, you know
3: what they say. When the cat's away, the mice will play.
0: Why didn't you just call
4: BioBug?
3: Have you had enough of playing cat and mouse? BioBug Pest Management is here to help. Whether you have rats or mice in your business, residence, or commercial building, BioBug is committed to providing a solution that's right for you. To learn more and get your free quote, visit BioBug.com. BioBug Pest Management. Service you trust. Experience you expect. Now hiring service techs.
0: Wilson's Furniture's Winter Sale is going on now. Your chance to save store-wide on living, dining, bedroom furniture and mattresses at the best prices of the year. Stop at Wilson's Furniture today. It's Wilson's Furniture's annual Winter Sale going on now. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale.
1: Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself.
4: For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council
0: sign up for the chs northwest propane autofill program and receive a cellular tank monitor with no monitoring fees plus you'll be able to review your daily tank level readings for phone or tablet chs northwest everything you need for home and farm online at chsnw.com kgmi has been the voice of our community for over 90 years presenting the news and information that matters here while also offering you the chance to have your voice heard and that commitment continues. Start your day with the KGMI Morning News with Diana Haralock from six to nine. And don't miss your chance to voice your opinion on the news of the day with Joe Tien on KGMI Connects each weekday at four. KGMI is your news talk station.
4: CBS News Brief. Another mystery object was detected flying above the U.S. President Biden ordered it to be shot down. CBS's Willie James Inman.
5: An F-22 fighter jet shot down an object flying off the northern coast of Alaska on Friday. We're calling this object because that's the best description we have right now.
4: The devastation in Turkey and Syria is widespread from the earthquake that hit five days ago. Over 20,000 are dead, millions are homeless, and aid has been slow. The United Nations says help is desperately needed in both regions.
0: We are focusing very much on shelter and relief items.
4: A 15-year-old student's dead after being stabbed at a St. Paul, Minnesota high school. Police have a suspect in custody, a 16-year-old boy who's also a student. Parents are outraged.
3: I'd like to see metal detectors in this school, in this school anyway.
4: They're still not sure what led up to the deadly incident. CBS News Brief, I'm Stacey Lynn.
3: Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the U.S.
2: Welcome back. Well we could Well, we saw a little report come out this week It says the job claims that, that earlier but picked up for the first time in six weeks. Applications for US employment benefits rose, but uh, remained remains historically low, underscoring the resilience of the job market despite mounting economic uncertainty. Initial job claims closed thirteen thousand to one hundred and ninety six thousand for the weekend at February fourth. According to the Labor Department data on Thursday, the median forecast in a Bloomberg survey of economists called for about 109,000 applications. The continuing links, which includes people who have already received unemployment benefits for a week or more, increased to 1.69 million in on the weekend of the 20th of January. The U.S. Labor Department has remained firm in its backdrop to the Federal Reserve's most aggressive tightening campaign in a generation. Despite a rising number of layoffs spreading beyond tech companies, many businesses, particularly smaller ones, are still struggling to hire, while others are holding on staff that they worked so desperately to get on board. Walt well, Disney Company said Wednesday well, this cutting 7,000 jobs as part of its broader restructuring, and it'll save the entertainment company about $5.5 billion. Boeing Company expects to cut another 2,000 jobs this year, primarily in finance and human resources but they are also hiring about 10,000 plant workers. The data came in on a week after a separate government report showed payrolls unexpectedly surged last month while the unemployment rate fell to 53 years old. Even though seasonal adjustments and other revisions may have played a role, Fed officials have said that the data reinforces the need for more interest rate hikes in order to combat inflation. Four-week moving average in initial claims, which smooths out the this week's big week volatility, edged down to 189,250, which is the lowest since April. On an adjusted basis, initial claims rose to 234,654, led by California and Ohio. The survey, of chief executives by the Office Board in collaboration with the Business Council, found that 57% report some problems attracting qualified workers. Well, 81% expect to boost wages by at least 3% over a year. And while we're talking about jobs, maybe there's another thing that the impact missing that is that robots are coming for our jobs. It's also going to help us get fired. So that's going to be an interesting revolution that we've seen coming for a while. But those who are going to take a sadistic pleasure in looking for evidence that we're creeping closer to a dystopian future. Are ruled by robot overloads. Consider this possible nightmare scenario. Artificial intelligence is now not only coming to your job, but it'll have a hand in laying you off also. AI has already infiltrated multiple parts of the human resource process of hiring, onboarding, training to evaluate. It's not a huge stretch to think that in an efficiency-obsessed sector like technology. Schools designed to streamline decision-making are now making their way into layoffs. The conditions are right for it. Tech's nearly 42,000 jobs last month were second highest on record for the sector. One of the reasons we know that there's a movement towards automating parts of so-called workforce reduction is because human resources executives are admitted. It. A report last month from CatTara, which is an arm of the tech industry research firm research Gartner, Inc., found that 98% of HR leaders if surveyed said that they would at least somewhat rely on software and logarithms to reduce labor costs in the 2023 recession. For hourly workers, management by uh, logarithms is nothing new. In 2021, for example, Bloomberg News reported that Amazon.com tracked every move with three drivers, some of whom were fired by automated email when the company's algorithms decided that workers were failing on falling down on the job. The information deluge from that, that Amazon collects on these independent contractors is what makes it possible for the algorithms to evaluate performance. But the volume of data also makes it easier for proponents of AI to argue these tools are necessary. It's too far from inputs for a human for a human to possibly interpret. Office workers have until recently escaped such intense scrutiny, in large part because the data to track them in the same way wasn't existing. But that has changed with increasing popularity of workforce productivity score and a growing inclination and ability to closely monitor not just whether employees are in front of the keyboards, but that every keystroke and every mouse click. To be clear, we're not suggesting HR managers simply push a button. And I'll pop a pile of pig slips along with that a whole bunch of legal reputation issues, although it's almost guaranteed that someone will try. The greater likelihood is that AI helps narrow a fool by the first phase before a human gets involved, akin to what happens in the hiring process. This might seem like a holy grail of HR managers, a chance to remove the emotion layoffs shift the blame and bad feelings from humans machines. We know that that's not how AI works. As the edict goes, bad data in, bad data out. And there's plenty of evidence that data companies already rely on, on for employees evaluation are perfect. While 70% of HR leaders say that they would use performance metrics to lay off decisions, a higher percentage report that it's to change performance evaluation because they think the process is flawed. Even the HR leaders in CapTara's studies said that they would rely on software and algorithms to cut labor costs in 2023 or wary of the technology. Only half said that they're completely confident that these tools will produce unbiased recommendations. 47% reporting the of messy and uncomfortable layoffs. AI has the potential to Several experts point out that the, another the Amazon example in which the tech giant tried, tried to build an automated tool to narrow down a pool of job applicants. Its engineers trained the system to look at the historical data on people who had submitted resumes in the past. i Plan, file a new forms for the plan. Secondly, do beneficiaries or the executor of the state know where to find copies of the beneficiary forms? And then, secondly, are the forms current? They consider any recent changes in the IRS rules, i.e., the correct life expectancy table to be used for the required distribution calculations. Do they consider state or federal estate tax law changes, i.e., the Secure Act? Do they consider plan limitations? Do they consider life events to change by their beneficiary elections? These like adoptions, beneficiaries to eliminate. Yes, uh, birth, child, and grandchild. Yes, divorces, marriage, special needs beneficiaries, and other life events. Number three is for a contingent beneficiary named on each beneficiary form to take effect it would affect them the form of disclaimer. What we're talking about there is the, if the primary beneficiary decides they don't want to take the money, they can disclaim it. If you have a potential beneficiaries, then it can pass directly down to them. If you don't have them named, that won't happen. Number four, is a signed beneficiary form on file with the trustee, custodian, or plan provider for each retirement account? Is there an acknowledged copy of each most recently signed beneficiary form? Again, beneficiary forms are really important. A lot of changes take place. People get bored, get remarried, people die. So to think about. It. Number six, does the advisor have a copy of each most recently signed forms? Number seven, the trustee and custodian plan providers locate or produce a copy. So, a lot of cases, you see a lot of mergers and trustees and custodians. A lot of times that work hasn't got passed on. Important for you to check and make sure that your plan has got a copy of the Number eight, when the estate plan was drafted, did it take into account the retirement assets. Retirement assets will pass along to the beneficiary, not by the will. Very important to pass it by beneficiary form because of how that money is going to be taxed So, at least be aware. Of. And the beneficiary form should name a person, not an entity. It's a beneficiary, unless the retirement plan assets are being left in full or apart to a charity or a trust. So if you name a charity or trust, that's fine, but make sure you understand what you're doing. Number 10, who are the primary beneficiaries? What percentage do they inherit? Make sure that it adds up to 100%. Who are the contingent beneficiaries? What percent would they inherit? Also, make sure that it adds up to 100%. Number 12, are there multiple primary or contingent beneficiaries? And then 13, if there are multiple beneficiaries, make sure that each beneficiary share is clearly stated. And 14, if there are multiple beneficiaries, is there a need to create separate accounts for each of them now. So we'd we'll be happy to provide the beneficiary this form to you. It's a call, 360 733 Thanks. Be right back
5: a fine wine, your favorite jeans, a drop-top Chevy. So many things get better with age. Unfortunately, your furnace isn't one of them, until now. With Barron's Payback Program, you can earn up to $1,500 in combined savings when you upgrade to a new high-efficiency furnace. The older the furnace, the more you'll save. And spoiler alert, two lucky customers will win air conditioning. That dinosaur in the garage has been keeping you toasty for decades. But as much as 40% or more of its energy could be wasted, Yikes! That old furnace is costing you money. So call Barron and save up to $1,500 when you trade in your old model. Plus, two lucky customers will win free air conditioning, including the customer with the oldest furnace. Good things really do come to those who wait. But don't wait too long. Call today. Barron's payback program is going on now through February 28th. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our
0: mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. See baronheedy.com for details.
3: Sir, are you okay? I uh, don't like to fly.
0: What are you worried about? I don't know. Engine trouble at 47,000 feet, maybe?
4: Maybe had you taken the car in for regular service before it had engine trouble, we'd be driving the legendary Route 66 instead of flying over it. Could I get a couple of Asper- Have Bellingham Automotive schedule your bumper-to-bumper inspection and oil change before it's too late. Call the shop or visit BellinghamAutomotive.com today
0: of your favorites every day on Bellingham's newest radio station 98.9 and AM 930 KBAY. Kick off your workday with the 9 a.m. music marathon over an hour of commercial free classics. Hit after hit from your favorite artists all day every day and the broadcast sponsor of the Bellingham Bells. Listen live online 98.9kbay.com Join the fun and be a part of Bellingham's newest radio station 98.9 and AM 930 KBAY
3: if tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife.
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live, Big Johnny. A you can see the static morning here. Always thank you for being with us. Okay, uh, let's start out here talking about the Secure act and the game-changer that it is. And one of the big ones is the 529 rollover rule that's starting to turn some heads because starting in 2003, they're going to be able to move money from those 529 college savings points over into a Roth IRA. So we'll spend some time talking about this. Yep. And the recently passed two O is giving college savers more time to earn the benefits of compound interest. Under the Act, beneficiaries of 529 plans that have been in place for at least 15 years or more are going to be able to move assets from their 529 to a Roth IRA starting next year. This rollover capability is good news because it lengthens the compound time of the assets, ultimately boosting account values. It also reduces parental worrying that they're over-saving for their child's education if, for example, their son or daughter scores a scholarship. Of course, the account holder must meet the new rules requirements, of which there are a few. So, among other restrictions, transfers from subject to the beneficiary's annual contribution, limit, as well as the lifetime maximum of $35,000. Now, to clarify that, you can't just turn around and give $35,000. You have to be, has to be, in the annual contribution limit but to move that money over. Current contributions and earnings for the past five years also can't roll over Not crazy, but that's the way it is. The Roth IRA accepting the funds must be in the same name as the 529 plan beneficiary. So while the added rollover to a Roth IRA option makes the account more attractive, there are caveats. Number one, the annual limit right now is $6,500 per year and a lifetime limit at $35,000. So be aware of the details, because the IRS devil will get you. So let's talk about this some more. If you have a 529 plan, the child has gone to college, there's money left in the account, the account has been around for at least 15 years, you can roll over money out of that 529 plan that's remaining as long as it wasn't earnings for contributions of the last five years over to a Roth IRA. And you would be limited to the annual amount, which this year, or by then, right now, it's $6,500. We don't know what it will be next year because it the probably go up with inflation. So we think this provision is definitely helpful. $5,29 plans can be used for qualified educational expenses without tax or penalties, whereas Roth IRAs can be used for anything. So the ability to roll up to $35,000 is significant. How significant? Well, there are estimates that if it's $35,000 rolled over to a Roth IRA, Assuming that Kyle graduates from college, gets a job, willing to allow the invested funds to grow to age 65, at a 6% growth rate, the retirement account could be worth about $430,000. I sat down and compounded that out because the S&P has averaged 9.6% since 1926. And so I took an 8% number. In this case, that amount would be close to a million dollars, that $35,000 put away when they got out of college. You left open that 529, the old rent of a Roth IRA be worth a million dollars. Now, let's not forget that there amount of inflation over that period of time, so a million dollars isn't going to be worth what it is today. But it can be quite impactful for an individual term. The new rule is helpful. Basically, if you have young children who are hesitant, and you're hesitant to fund the 529 plan, but fear at the end of the fund, will have to sit in the account and ask for another beneficiary. Now, keep in mind that isn't one of the other options that's available. If you have money in that 529 plan, you can change the beneficiary to the 529 plan. So let's say that you have multiple children, but you put the money in the name of the oldest one first. they don't use it all, you could also roll that money down to the next one and the next one. Or if you have the money in the name of the oldest one, they finish college the balance left over, they go out, they get married, they have children, then they can move that over to the great grandchildren. So there's a lot of flexibility here as far of what you do in that regard. You know, with the new provision, we're having many express that they're more open to pouring 529 plans so they know part of the funds can be deposited in the law, investing long term. So they see this as an opportunity to enhance families' wealth building strategy. This provision. Particular provision of the Security rule provides further proof that the government realized that Americans today are living longer in retirement, staying more active, and remaining healthier than any prior generation. It also tells Ellison that politicians in Washington finally understand that individuals entering retirement today are less financially secure than prior generations. These the guarantees of a pension and Social Security are longer they are no longer there. Many are relying only on their personal retirement savings. Any change to enable people to add more to their retirement savings is also a positive in my mind. An open question, however, is whether changing the beneficiary of 529 restarts that 15 year waiting period. We don't know that one yet. Uh, so again if you have another beneficiary that you change the money to, we don't know whether that 15 years starts over then it starts with the original beneficiaries. The recent IRS interpretation that has to come out there this law could become a wealth transfer tax bag for state planning, separate from just education planning, with over $400 billion currently sitting in 529 plans. 2024 is going to be our first leg to how this new provision to secure and tax impacts investor behavior. Nice, but it's not necessarily a game changer. You know, we hope the new rule encourages more families to save the child or grandchild's education. Nonetheless, while well, the hype provision is unlikely to be used by people who really need the benefit. In my experience, 529 plan gets used. It's a rare event, but it does not. There are other options. For instance, I had one client where their oldest went to college with no cost, but in the case that they had a younger child who went to a private school, so they transferred funds from one child to another. The biggest beneficiaries are most likely to be wealthy families so that have overfunded 529 for young children and now have an easy way for some money to go tax-free for a long time. However, that benefit is mitigated by the limits of both lifetime conversion and annual Roth contribution. Now, let me give you an example. Somebody's got, talking about the, a, a wealthy family, and grandparents, for example, want to transfer money out of their estate. They can transfer it to $85,000 in a lump sum every five years. So new grandchild out there, all of a sudden you go out and fund that, that uh, 529 plan with $85,000. That money goes tax-free. They use it for college. Whatever they don't use, now that it's that 15-year rule, they can roll over at least $35,000 of that to Roth IRA. It's something to think about. I think this provision May be another way to encourage families to use 529s by breaking down one of the arguments against saving early. That is a positive. 529s are a great way to start saving for college. So a small change encourages more families to use them, and I think that is definitely going to be a benefit. Fine. Okay, got a couple minutes left here. Got a question here. The other day came in about how much can my ex-spouse uh, Social Security benefit fees my ex spouse received. Get these kind of questions all the time, but this case is my the question was my ex-wife is collecting benefits based on my social security benefits. I'm not collecting yet. We were married for more than ten years, divorced for more than two years when she started collecting. My question is what percentage of my payout is she collecting? And when I start collecting, will, what will she receive? Or will it affect my benefits? So basically The ex-wife would receive at most 50% of the retirement benefit if she started collecting at her full retirement age, and that would be her full retirement age. In other words, if she's depending on her age, 65, 67, depending on her age, if she started collecting at her full retirement age, she would get a maximum of 50% of your benefit. If she's younger from that, then the benefit is going to be reduced based on her age at the time she started the benefit. The benefit and any other pay- payable to your family is not going to affect the ex-wife's benefit. Uh, your ex-wife's benefit for benefit is excluded. You can get married several times, have several ex-wives. They can all collect as long as you're married for that 10-year period of time. And if the benefit is excluded, it's not going to affect the family maximum or the benefit is payable to you, your current spouse, or any possible eligible children. So, something to think about. And then another IRA question I had, if a person turned 72 this last year and died before starting their traditional IRA R&Ds, required minimum distribution, most of the three children take an r based on their ages and wait for the next nine years? And basically the answer, because in this case, uh, they died before the required beginning date. The required beginning date is April 1st of the year following the uh, year turning 72. In this case, it would be April 1st of this year, twenty three. Since she died before that date, date the children must only empty their share of the entire share by December 31st of 32. No annual are required for years one to nine in that 10-year period beginning in 2023. The IRA owner had died on or after April 1st of this year, then RMDs would be a, a half to five from years one to nine for that 10-year extended period. So basically, she required died before required a bit of a big beginning date with <coughs> the first year is the year you turn 73. It actually does not have to be taken out until April 1st. You can follow Clarification. This is Donnie with you with live KGMI. As always, we thank you for being with us. Don't forget our Sunday show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And if you've got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. And as a reminder, if you'd like to copy of that beneficiary Form, just this, give us a call. Six zero seven three three.
1: Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.